0: Yeah. Good to see you, Claire. Good to see you. Good to see you walking in the door. Amen. Amen. Well, we missed you guys last week. We had a good time and uh, got to worship with some of God's beautiful people down in southern Mississippi. And uh, it was a great drive down. Every bug in southeast Arkansas was on my windshield. Um, And some of those bugs don't come off so easy. But, uh, yeah, we had a good time. Thank you for praying for us. And um, we're down there um, sharing the book. Dangerous God, and we had a good response, and uh, so it was, it was a good time. Um, so we've got this little sermon series going here, and our goal has been, and I know you're tired of hearing me say it, but I keep saying it for a reason. You know, repetition is an important aspect of preaching and uh, teaching, but my hope is that every one of us in this room will take serious the fact that we must reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. Now, it's easy to be a member of a church and it's easy to sit and listen to some guy talk and it's easy to sing hymns and all of these things are easy. And for many of us they're just tradition and culture. I mean, I mean, this is how we were raised and we know we should be here and we we we're glad to be here. But my question is, are you really reckoning with the fact that God is God? I mean, this is, this is the ultimate essence of biblical Christianity. I'm reckoning with the fact that Yahweh is Yahweh. And there's no God like him, and he does whatever he pleases, and I'm okay with that, right? I mean, you know, the people, we, as his people, we humbly bow and receive all that he says, even when it's sometimes difficult for us. You know, it's the very thing that many professing Christians never get around to doing, Reckoning with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I mean, has it ever happened? Has it ever happened that the clay stood up and demanded an answer from the potter? You know, I love the analogy. I mean, the analogy is powerful. Has it ever happened? This is what God is saying. It should never happen. Don't question me. Don't question what I do. Don't critique me. I'm the potter. You know, it's really important to remember. It's really important to remember who we are. Just simply who we are. You know, if we could get that right, we're a long way down the road. If we can just get that right. We are the clay. Um, The clay doesn't say, what are you doing? Why did you make me this way? The clay never says that. I hope that none of us ever engage in such silliness. The clay never talks back, never questions, never critiques, never complains. The clay submits. The clay always submits to the potter's hands. This is the imagery of a true believer. And I know Brad has shared Isaiah 66 too with you many times. It's the go-to passage for any preacher who's going to preach Uh, Something that may be challenging for the folks to hear. Isaiah 66, uh, 2. What does the potter say, or what does the potter seek from the clay? To whom does God look? To him who, what? Is humble and is contrite and who trembles at my word. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was in a Baptist church, grew up in a Baptist church. Nobody was trembling at God's word. Um, At least, not that I could discern Of course, I was unregenerate until I was 28, so I didn't know what I was clueless. I didn't know what was going on. But I don't remember ever getting any kind of even vague sense that somebody was would dare to tremble before the word of God. You know, the Message Bible is problematic in many, many ways, but every once in a while, Eugene Peterson gets a uh, he gets he gets an interesting turn of a phrase. Isaiah 66, 2, he paraphrases it like this, but there is something, God says, there's something I'm looking for. I'm looking for a person who is simple and plain and reverently responds to me and what I say. Don't you love it? As a people of God, isn't that who we are? Isn't that exactly what we ought to be? So this is what the true clay understands. The Bible is not God's explanation. He's not trying to explain things to you. He's revealing himself to you. He doesn't explain himself. We saw that in the book of Job. He never explains himself. He does reveal himself. Reality just what is. It's just reality is what pleases Yahweh. That's reality. My opinion on it doesn't affect the situation at all, right? My thoughts on this, that, or the other thing could not be more inconsequential. This is what I'm talking about. You've got to remember, we're the clay. We're the clay. That's the power of the imagery. Yahweh is not mainly to be understood. He is mainly to be what? I hope you can think about this. If I gave you a minute, you would get it. He's not mainly to be understood. He's mainly to be worshipped. He's mainly to be worshiped. And I know we struggle with things in Scripture. I know we do. We all do. There's tension and mystery in in some of these texts, and and, and, and we can't can't apprehend infinite mind. But we can worship. We can worship. So, what is required when we come to the Bible? Tons of humility, tons of contrition. And an eager, I like to say it this way, an eager willingness to tremble. You know, I'm always looking for a reason to tremble in the Bible. I am. I love the big text. I love when God says, I'm God, you're not. I love when he, when he says that, you know, I'm infinitely above you. <laughs> I love it when he talks about the kings on their thrones and he scoffs at them. You know, I love to tremble before my God. Who wants, as I said to you a week or two ago, <laughs> Who's going to worship a wimpy God? Um, and we don't have a wimpy God. As noted a few weeks ago, if we're going to be true students of the scriptures, we must be ready. We must be expecting counterintuitive wonders. I love this. I stole this from Piper. Counterintuitive wonders. Sometimes things just they kind of blow our, our finite minds. That's good. It's good, you know, you're looking at the true God then. Not some God you can, you know, pare down to, to your finite understanding, but the great living God who speaks galaxies into existence. That's the God I'm looking at right now because I, I really don't fully understand all that he's saying to me. You no, know, Piper talks about new categories of thinking. You have to, you know, we have to be nimble, right? We have to be nimble with the word to be ready to be changed and have our view expanded as we study the Scriptures. Beloved, we do not worship a comprehended God. He is vastly greater, stranger, and more glorious and more dreadful than we can imagine. This is good. It's good for us to meditate on this truth. So thus far in this series, we've posed a few questions designed to help us reckon with the magnitude what it means for God to be God. You may remember some weeks ago we looked at Psalm 117 and we asked why anything, why everything? For the glory of God and the joy of the elect. Why do I add the joy of the elect? Because the glory of God is the joy of the elect. It's all one thing. We spent, we spent a, a whole sermon in, in um, Psalm 117, two verses. And yes, God holds infinite exuberance in His hand. You know, I, I was talking, we had, we had a Zoom session with our, Uh, friends in Europe yesterday, and and we were talking about this, how Jesus said in John 15 and 17, I give you my joy. I'm not giving you maximum human joy. I'm giving you my joy. Right? Infinite exuberance. He holds it in his hand and he offers it to his people. Uh, Some weeks ago, we looked at those middle chapters in Isaiah where God says he's God and nobody else is, and we ask the question, is he worthy? And God says, yes, I am. Now, you have to love this. You know? Now, We don't necessarily admire a human being who talks like this, but he's not a human being. Yes, I am worthy. You know, he says, I am God, and there's no God like me. Period. Right? And he says, then he goes on to say, I am your creator. I create you for my glory. It's not vice versa. For my glory. And he says, yes, you know, yes, God is. As we, as we said, God is holding seemingly infinite cosmos in his hand. He holds infinite exuberance, and he holds an infinite cosmos in his hand. We looked at Job, and we asked the question, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? And we saw Job with that beautiful theology, you know, this counterintuitive wonder, these new categories of thinking. We saw that, that Job acknowledged that the adversity came from God, but he did not blame God, and I love that. You know, that's a little bigger than my brain. That's good. It should be bigger than your brain. It should be two and a half pounds of gray matter as compared to infinite mind. It should be. And we saw that Job got to the point where he kind of wanted to argue with God and he wanted to come before God and make his case. But what happened when God showed up? All he could do was put his hand on his mouth. Sometimes we have to do that, beloved. Sometimes we got to put our hand on our mouth. Sometimes preachers and, 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 you know, preachers, I'm pointing at me particularly, sometimes we talk too much. I'm sure I'm going to amen on some of that. Sometimes we just talk too much. We try to say too much. And we and we bring him down when we try to, to, to try to overexplain him. Just let him be mysterious. I, I, I just want to let him be mysterious. And we saw in Job that God holds Satan in every last tragedy in his hand. We looked at Romans a couple of weeks ago and we we talked about the natural disasters and And we asked the question, do you think lightly of his kindness and forbearance and patience? And we decided, yes, we are thinking lightly of his kindness, forbearance, and patience if we uh, don't see that, uh, if we're not astonished when the calamity doesn't come. Instead of being astonished when the calamity does come. If the wages of sin is, is death, and it is, we should be astonished every day, death doesn't come for me. I'll just ask you, are you astonished every day that death doesn't come for you? Because death should come for you. The tornado should come for you. The hurricane should come for you. So, we saw that God holds hurricanes in his hand. Part of the purpose of this sermon series is to prepare the hearts and minds of us who are participating in the attributes of God's study on Sunday night. Yes, God's rights and power and freedom as creator stun us sometimes. And we're talking about a tough thing tonight. And I think y'all touched on it last week, Brad was telling me. Sometimes we're stunned at the rights of God. But it is His right to do whatever He pleases with the clay. At grace, we are... Trying to prevent a small view of God. You know, this is how a pastor or preacher loves you the best. This is how I, I can love you the best. You know, I'm not the most chummy guy in the world. But one thing I will try to do is I'll try to get God as big in your heart and mind as you'll allow him to be. That's what I'll try to do. To get him so big that you love to tremble. You don't run from the trembling. You love the trembling, right? You love it. He's worthy. He's worthy of worship. Yeah, I got to tremble right now because he's he's blowing my mind. That's good. You're in the presence of Yahweh when you feel those kinds of things. So this series is trying to help us prepare You know, wrestle with counterintuitive wonders and new categories of thinking to humble ourselves, to be contrite. And tonight we talk about that hard one of those hard things. You know that many churches won't even talk about. You 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 could be in you could be in some churches all your life and you'd never hear the word foreknowledge come up because we run from those texts. Your average church runs from those texts. Your average Southern Baptist church runs from those texts. I'm Southern Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist seminary grad. I know the statistics. I know what they're like. I know that the average one will not deal with the deep things of God. The average church just wants to keep you coming, keep you giving money. That's the primary thing, to keep the entity going. I don't think this pleases God at all. You know, I think we're supposed to come in here and we're supposed to look at Him and we're supposed to be in love and we're supposed to worship and adore and treasure and. And know Him as our deepest pleasure. You know? I think that's what pleases the Lord. So we're talking a little bit tonight about foreknowledge. Um, And again, there's no serious debate among Greek scholars, even among our own resident Greek scholar, what the word means. We know what it means. It doesn't mean that God looks down the corridor of time and He sees me accept Him. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. And I know it's redefined to mean that in very many places. That's not what it means. You don't have to go to seminary. Just do a Greek word study. Look at context. Every honest person knows that's not what it means, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I know you guys have experienced some of this. People get mad sometimes at what God says. They get mad at it. They don't like it. And they bow up. And they won't hear it. I refuse to reckon with the magnitude of what it means for a God who talks like this. I'll go do church somewhere else. Where they don't put this huge God in front of me. That scares me sometimes. Yes, be scared. Every man that saw him got on his face. If you need to tremble, tremble. Yeah, okay. If you need to, it's good. It's good. If you never trembled, um, I'm challenging you, man. Get in some of those hard texts, those deep texts, and deal with them. I had had a great quote um, this last week. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Famous preacher over in England last century. I love what he says. Face the scriptures as they are. Do not argue with them. Do not try to manipulate them. Do not twist them. Face them. Believe them. Receive them. Submit to them. Whatever it costs. You want to please God in your life? Humble yourself before the Word of God. Humble yourself before the Word of God. You know, folks that refuse to simply hear the clear meaning of God's Word, it's, it's way past pride, you know. I'm pretty sure it's blasphemy. My goal this morning is not to dive deep into the, the truths of foreknowledge. We'll do some of that tonight. Um, I'd rather do that, you know, with my Greek scholar at the ready so he can help me with that. Tonight, if we go that direction... My goal this morning, here's my goal, and this has been my goal the whole time in this series, is that we could simply lay some biblical groundwork that would enable us to humbly hear and receive God's word. You know, get us to that place where we can hear it and we can receive it, even if at first blush we don't like it. God says a lot of things that, the human, that, that, that that humanity hates, right? A lot of things that churchgoers don't like too much either. This is what this is the word of God. We're either going to have biblical, we're either going to have intellectual integrity or we're not. So that's our goal, that we would get in a place where we can hear, humbly hear, and ultimately rejoice. And all that we see in the scriptures. So how do we do that? We just look at God. <laughs> we just open our hands. And, and be in awe. You know. <laughs> it's going to be his way anyway. It ain't ever going to be your way. <laughs> you, you know. If you have a different agenda. It ain't going to be your way. It's going to be Yahweh's way. And the true believer loves that. We love that. It's his way. It's not my way. Hey, I'm, I'm 67 years old. I've tried a few things my way. It's always, I always land in a ditch. If I do it my way, I'm in a ditch. So, we, uh, we're not interested in any of that. So here, I want to say this. I'm probably going to read it from my notes because I want to get it right. If God's word says he doesn't foresee his people choosing him, which is how most like to try to twist the meaning of the word foreknowledge in the Bible, but that he foreknows, he foreloves, and he elects and chooses them, which is the clear meaning of what the word foreknowledge means in Scripture. We're okay with that. We're not going to run from that. We're not going to split the church over that. We're not going to get in a huff and leave. We may go talk to, I encourage you to talk to him. Go talk to him. You know, (laughs) he'll take you way deeper than I can. Talk to him. Um, Beloved, clay, that's what you are. Clay. Clay. Let me say this. there's a mystery. There's a mystery in God's sovereignty. And man's responsibility, I, I, I grant that. There's mystery there, but there is no mystery in what foreknowledge means. There is no mystery for anyone who has any integrity with the scriptures. Foreknowledge is virtually synonymous with the word election. I was sharing, we had a Zoom session with uh, our friends in Europe yesterday. And I was sharing what Joe was, we, we've been going through Leviticus, you know, and, and, and God will say something and it sounds odd. And you go, well, what, why? why would we do that or why would we not do this he says do this but don't do that and you go well what does it mean and then he says I am the Lord your God you know I am the Lord your God that's why you don't understand something I am the Lord your God you know that's enough for me (laughs) that's that's enough for me so I would say to anyone here if you struggle with things in the Bible well welcome to the club we all have and we all do but you know what we don't do is ignore them or edit them or redact them we deal with it you know I would often tell, obviously, with the people from every conceivable denomination coming into our church in Milan over 18 years, you know, we had every conceivable profession of faith, tradition, denomination. And I would just appeal to people to, 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 to be open, right? Just to, to, hey, you may not be where I am, but at least be open. At least be open to Scripture. At least deal honestly with the text. It's the least we can do, I would think, after all God has gone through to bring us the Scriptures. The question is not whether you will struggle. The question is, will you be humble? Will you be humble before the Word of God? So we're going to be in Romans. You heard the text, read. We're going to be in Romans 11. I know, long intro. Long intro. We're going to be in Romans 11. Just let me get... You guys know Romans. We're just going to do a sprint through the whole book. Just don't worry. Uh, First three chapters. I'm going to sum it up in one verse. There's none righteous, no, not one. Okay? The next uh, four chapters. God is just and the justifier, and man is justified by faith alone. Yeah, this uh, obviously broad stroke here. Chapters 8 through 10. For whom God foreknew, he predestined, and these also he called, and these he also justified, and these he also glorified. Some of you were not raised to believe these things in the fullness of all that God is revealing. So I know, okay, hey, I spent 10 years on Romans 9, okay? I spent 10 years on it. I was believing it. But, man, I was trying to get it down. I was was trying to get where I could talk about it intelligently. You know, God's not putting fast food theology in front of us. So you get to Romans 11, uh, which, you know, Joe read those last few verses out of Romans 11. We're going to be there in one minute. But I just want to begin by giving you the immediate context, and I'm going to pick up here in Romans 11, verse 1. Romans 11, verse 1, if you'll turn with me there. Romans 11, verse 1. Paul says, I say then, God has not rejected his people. And he's going to define his people here in just a minute. Has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he what? Four new. He hasn't rejected the four known ones. He hasn't. This is Paul's argument. Verse 2, continuing. Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? (laughs) Elijah, I guess he wants God to just wipe them all out. Lord, they killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I am alone left here, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I love this. God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. These are my four known ones. That's my insertion there. Verse 5. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Faith wasn't self-generated. It's a gift. We know this from Scripture. It's clear. Verse 7, what then? That That which Israel is seeking for, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Now, some people simply hate this kind of talk. But what I want to say to you lovingly, He's God, you're not. Deal with it. Deal with it. And if you struggle, struggle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to struggle. I give you license to struggle. Do not ignore it. And let me tell you, one day, you'll come through that, the sun will come up and you'll be out of the struggle and you'll be loving it. You'll be loving the truth of God in this respect. You'll cherish it. I'm pretty sure none of the saints in heaven are concerned about the word foreknowledge. I'm positive none of them are complaining about the word foreknowledge. Not one of them. They're not worried about it. In fact, they treasure it. So let's pick up here. Romans eleven thirty three. We touched on this text a couple of weeks ago, but we, we just flew past it. We, we barely touched on it, but I want to spend a few more, time, a few more minutes in it this morning. Romans 33, is my, it's, it's like the go-to passage in the Bible. I mean, this is just doxology, right? It's just doxology. He writes 11 chapters of this breathtaking theology, and he can't help himself. He just has to praise God. <laughs> you know? It's really, really beautiful. Um, verse 33. I love the O. Do you know about the O? Have you ever been before God with the O? You don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve it. But oh the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, exclamation point. Paul is staggered. And listen, if you're not sometimes staggered and stunned, you're not hearing it. Paul is staggered. He is stunned at who he was and who he is now. All because of a beautiful, sovereign God who does all his good pleasure. So he's worshiping. Let's pick up here again, verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who can become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? And here's the whole Bible in one verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so in the Apostle Paul, he's trying to articulate the wonder and the awe and the amazement and the astonishment of all that God has done in his behalf and the behalf of all who come Humbly before Christ to receive him. Did you notice? Paul is not questioning God, he's worshiping God. And when it gets hard and difficult for you sometimes, it's the best thing to do. <laughs> it's the best questioning God. You know, I, I, if I can get this right, sometimes I, how do, how do I like to say it? You know, I'm, I can't count. It won't come up. you 8 being 67. Um, it'll come back in a minute, man. Um, yes, I would rather have one revelation from God than 10,000 answers from God. I would rather have one revelation than the answer to 10,000 questions. Just one revelation. Right? I just want to see him. And I just want to know him. And I want to tremble and I want to to worship a great God. I don't want some crummy God. I know you know this. Christian worship is fueled by this. The Christian life is fueled by this, a great vision of God, a great revelation of God. This is our fuel, it's our fuel. God says, foreknowledge? That makes me uncomfortable. Okay, he's awesome, I'm gonna, try to, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna pray about it, I'm gonna meditate on it. I'm gonna talk to Brad about it. I'm not gonna talk to Jim, cause Jim says talk to Brad. And parenthetically, I, I just wanna say this. Um, you know what this is, right? Theology, doxology. And then Paul gets into the what? He gets into the, the next three or four chapters where he's just exhorting you to do something with this, right? Right? So this is the bridge. You guys know Romans 12, 1 and 2. He goes, he goes, "Because all this is true, uh, I urge you, therefore, because all this is true, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourself bodies a living to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship if God's like this then how should you live this is what he's saying and then he says this in verse 2 and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind how does that happen being in the word of God that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this theology, doxology, life. And it uh, it spills out, right? It's it's overflow. Doxology's overflow. I had a flat tire. Oh, I hate that. Doxology. Somehow, I got to find doxology, right? Karen burns my supper. I don't like that, which he's never done. No, it's just, you know, we got to find doxology. we got to find doxology. Close parentheses on that. Um, the O. I hope you know about the O. I hope you know about it. Paul says, all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He said, he said God's ways... His wisdom and his ways, his knowledge, it's beyond us. It's unavailable. I love the way MacArthur says it. It's inaccessible to you at this point. It's incomprehensible. It's unreachable. It's inexhaustible. You know, Karen teaches your children the word incomprehensible. For reason. Paul says God is at the bottom of everything. There is no explanation beneath God. No matter how deep you go, God is there. He is the first and last explanation. You know how some of the some of the scriptures talk about this. Job five nine. God does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Amen. Psalm ninety two five. How great are your works, O Lord? Your thoughts are very deep. Yes. Job 11, 7 through 9, this is so far speaking. Can you discover the depths of God? No, I cannot, n- nor will I ever be able to. After forever. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? No, I cannot. They are as high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the, the earth and broader than the sea. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done, your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. And I love David's exclamation in Psalm 139, contemplating the knowledge. And we'll we'll throw foreknowledge into that mix. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, he says. It's too high, I cannot attain unto it. It's just worship. It's always doxology. If we're looking at Yahweh rightly, biblically, it's doxology. If you have, you know, I had a brother say to me one time, um, you know, he came through my church, he heard me teach these things. About 10 years later, he called me and he said, you know what, I've, I've rejected that because that gives me an argument against God. And I said, brother, you need to get on your face. You have no argument to give God. He, gets, he says, that's something that... That, that, that gives me, you know, a, a reason to, to take issue with him. You know, it grieved my soul to hear him talk like that. I don't know who he'd been sitting under, and I don't know why he wasn't opening his Bible and reading it, but God is awesome. He's mysterious. And you've got you to gotta have a category for that. You've got to have a category for things that you can't fully grasp. If you're going to think worthy thoughts of Yahweh. God says, I am unsearchable. I am unfathomable. You can't get to the end of me. You, 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 you never get to the end of all my inexplicable wonders. This is a good thing, beloved. It's a good thing. Who wants a God that you yawned before? I mean, who's, you know... Who wants a, Who's going to worship a God that causes you to yawn? And I can't tell you how many yawns I've seen in church. We're not hearing it. I'll say it this. Let's, let me say this. <laughs> this was a last minute notation in the margin of my notes which sometimes means I shouldn't say it. Um, If you want a God you can fully comprehend and manage, you're in the wrong religion. Because that ain't ever going to happen. And on the far side of eternity, there's still going to be mystery. And you're going to love it. And you're just going to be hungry for more of it. The tagline for the attributes of God study is, a comprehended God is no God. Some dead Puritan said that. Um, and we're happy about that. We're good with that. Verse 34, who's his counselor? Obviously no one. Who advises Yahweh? No one. God isn't looking for your input. You guys know the great text, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts for us, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways and my Thoughts are higher than yours. You know, Paul brings up this thing about counsel, and I know I've said this to you before, so I won't develop it <clears throat> to any great degree, but, you know, <laughs> you've got, you got all these God advisors out in the world, and Paul says, well, who, who could ever counsel Yahweh, right? Who could counsel Him? And we've got all these God advisors. Well, you should have done that. Why don't you do this? We've already talked about that, so I won't pursue it any further. Don Whitney's a pretty well-known pastor, professor, author in Christian circles. He said something one day in class, I never forgot, he said, if we knew what God knew, we wouldn't change one thing. That's a big statement. If you knew, if you had an infinite mind, you wouldn't change anything. I've always loved that. You wouldn't fight the difficulty the Bible presents to you in your theology, you would love it. and You would spend the rest of your life plumbing the depths of it and delighting in it. So, don't be a God advisor. Or who has given to him, verse 35, that it, that, or first it was, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Oh. To whom is God a debtor? Obviously, no one. I love what Piper says about this. We're all squatters. We're all squatters. You don't own anything, none of it's yours. Everything you have was a gift. You're supposed to be a steward of it. That's a whole nother sermon or more. But it's not yours, it's not yours. What what could be said that Yahweh owes us? Does God owe us anything? The only thing he owes us was anything that would flow from his character, which would be what? Justice? Do you want justice from God? That's why we're in this room, because we don't want justice from God. And we found a way not to get justice from God. That's through the finished work of his son. That's why we're here. We believe it, we love it, we cherish it squatters. That's a a good, that that helps me. It helps me, you know, squatter. (laughs) It helps me get my mind in the right place. Acts 17, 25, uh, 25, he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all life and breath and everything. He doesn't need anything from you. You know, I've had this discussion with several guys, you know, big money makers, and they're being, they're giving big money to the to the church, and, and, and I, I just always remind him, I say, you're not really giving God anything. It's already His. Now, you can worship Him with it, which is right, but you're not giving Him anything. You can worship with it as we should, as we're commanded to, but you're not giving Him, we're not giving Him anything. It's all His. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? <laughs> Here's a great challenge for all of us. We need to do what God designed us to do. You're going to like this. I think you're going to like this. I like it. God designed his creatures to simply receive, rejoice, and worship. That's it. I mean, that's the bottom line of everything. God's a happy giver. Just receive. Stop rebelling. Right? Stop calling God to account. Stop questioning God. Accusing God. Debating with God. Redacting God. Stop all of that. And just receive and rejoice. Give thanks and worship. Obviously we love this about God. To receive that next breath with genuine appreciation and I know it's impossible to always be consciously thinking of these things but we should be thinking of these things on occasion to receive that next meal with real gratitude you know I'm always astonished you walk into an American supermarket and there's so much stuff to buy you know there are places in the world where you can't buy anything anywhere and we just take it for granted that's the way it is. It's supposed to be that way. I'm an American. I deserve a good meal. I'm always astonished. To receive the vigor and health and uh, uh, that you enjoy as a gift to be used in obeying Him. The vigor we have, which as we all know is passing away. You know, at 67, I feel the vigor going. I feel it. I need to talk to Karen about how she doesn't I don't know, she always seems to have it. Maybe she could tell me what her secret is. Um, To receive his word with humility, contrition, and a teachable spirit. Men can but receive from God. That is Paul's point. All right-thinking, Men and women understand this. Sounds simplistic. But the gospel has never been rocket science. Yeah, there's mystery and tension and difficulty. But it's not rocket science. You guys know Luke twelve. It's one of my go-to sermons. You know, I always thought, well, if someone says, Jim, preach, you know, you had no preparation, they say, Preach. And um, It'd be one of the texts I'd go to, Luke 12, 32. Your father has chosen gladly to give you what? Everything. Everything. The kingdom. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Verse 36. Again, the whole Bible here. Um, eternity past, creation, providence, human history, and eternity future. It's right here, one verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul's in that right place, isn't he? He's in that right place. He's got God in that right place. He said, Well, Jim, I'm not Paul. I know you're not Paul. You're not ever going to be Paul. I'm never going to be Paul. You're not going to be like Paul. But you can be like him in this way. We can be like him in this way. For from him and through him and to him are all thanks to him be the glory forever. We can be just like Paul. Doxology can be spilling out. I was listening to a preacher the other day. He said, You know, 95% of your life is un. How did he call it? 95% of your life is is spur of the moment stuff. You know, you don't plan that that random conversation. You don't plan exactly what you're going to say. You don't plan what's going to happen at work. You don't plan what's going to happen, the family dynamic. You don't plan a lot of it. It just blow. it just happens, right? Stuff happens. So 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 what how are you going to deal with that? It's a spillover. Doxology should be spilling out as we deal with this stuff. You don't have time to plan it. This is part of what he's saying in, in 12, 1 and 2. It's it's spillover. It's spillover. You guys know Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things. Hold together, I know you get tired of hearing me say it, but I say it to myself, and it helps. It's not about me. You want to get freed up? <laughs> you want to get freed up? What about you. It's about him. He's awesome. And he feels my heart, right? And he feels my mind. And he's giving me a meaningful life to live. What is that? Making much of Jesus. Whatever that looks like. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic, making much of Jesus. So, Romans 11 33, 36, it's what it looks like to deal with the magnitude of of what it means for God to be God. We don't debate Him. We don't question Him. We don't critique Him. We don't redact Him. And if we struggle, we struggle. We're okay with that. I'm okay with the struggle. I'm okay. And I, 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 I heartily exhort you, struggle on. But do not reject. Do not redefine. Then you're touching the glory of God. In my view, Our God is God. He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. Psalm 115.3. I love Daniel 4.35. He does according to His will, and no one can ward off His hand. He's going to do what He's going to do. And as a true believer, we've, we've learned to rejoice in that. Even if we don't fully understand it all. We don't have to understand it all. You guys know Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart Him? You don't like foreknowledge? He says, I foreknow the ones I love and I have elected them. You don't like that? Well, then you have some work to do. I'm not trying to run you off. Man, I want you to, want you, to you know, <clears throat> get on your face if you have to. And if you, if we're understanding the Bible, we have to. There are times you have to. That Isaiah passage, Isaiah 45, 27. His hand is stretched out. Who can turn? I foreknow my people. His hand is stretched out. You're going to turn it back? You're going to redefine that? I don't think so. You can run from the truth, but you know the old saying, you can't hide. So, beloved, I just encourage you to remember your place, your clay. He's the potter. And we happily embrace as true believers that he is vastly greater, stranger, more glorious and more dreadful than we could ever imagine. Yes, some of his truth requires that we stand ready to accept counterintuitive wonders and engage in new categories of thinking and we're all good with that. <laughs> Bring it on, Lord. Help me. Help me. Help me, lo- help me love and magnify you in accordance with your word. Not some denominational statement. But in accordance with what you have given and preserved for me. We love that Yahweh holds the gift of infinite exuberance in his hand. Psalm 117. This is a brief summary of the whole series. We love that our God holds the seemingly infinite cosmos in His hand, Isaiah 43. We love that our Father holds Satan and every last tragedy in His hand, the book of Job. We love that our Savior holds hurricanes in His hand, Romans 8. And we love that from an eternity past, the triune God holds our salvation in His hand. And we love that we have been foreknown. We did not deserve it, but He has done it and nobody in heaven's complaining about it and i pray that nobody in this room would ever complain about it you struggle okay go talk to prayer work pray meditate oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to uh, learn humility, contrition, and understand that as the clay, there will be times that we must tremble. Lord, I know there's probably some in here that may still struggle with these things, and that's fine. But we will never explain them away. We will never do that. Lord, give us soft hearts that we can hear your word and work through the struggle as you teach us to cherish everything you've said. and we will cherish it forever. We will never grow weary of worshiping you. We will be like the Apostle Paul. Doxology on our lips for a billion eternities. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.